0: Good evening, church, and thank you so much for joining us tonight. My name's Colin, the pulpit minister here at Central Church of Christ, and this is Dan Spathy, He's one of our elders, and here at Central Church of Christ, it's our mission to be God's heart and hands in this community and beyond. As a Christ-centered church, it's our vision to see every single member live out the life of Christ. If you think you'd be interested in that, please come by and visit us here in Victoria, Texas. So this is our Wednesday evening conversation through the Law and the Prophets, where we sit down and, and bust open the, the Old Testament, and we start connecting it to the New Testament and moving through the text, and it's great. It's yep. fun. We've actually finished Genesis. Finally. Finally. We're now into Exodus. We're going to be starting Exodus this uh, this evening. We're going to be in Exodus chapter one. But if you're listening to this on the Heart and Hands podcast, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. If you're watching this on Facebook, make sure to like and share. That really helps us out. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed and you get the bell turned on so you get notified every time we upload a video. We actually are uploading pretty regularly now. Yeah. <laughs>
1: she's... We've got some new help.
0: We do. We have some new help. She's doing an excellent job getting especially some of the backlog of sermons and stuff. From I mean, assemblies I'm, I'm out. seeing
1: sermons come up
0: online that were from
1: 2019.
0: No, it's excellent. It's excellent.
1: Uh, yeah. And and she's getting them out, knocking them out. It's pretty It's pretty cool.
0: Man. It is. It is. If you're you you're know, if you're listening to this on the podcast, I want to encourage you, if you'd like to hear some of the, ser- the older sermons we've done, you can catch those on YouTube and our website at www.churchofvictoria.com. Of course, the goal is to get them all moved over to YouTube at some point. Yeah. but they aren't on. Well, the she's podcast. doing. Man,
1: I was yeah. scrolling through YouTube the other day, and I go, "Well, that's me."
0: Yeah,
1: and and, <laughs> I, and I a sermon that I did. You know, man, it was back in in November, December of two thousand nineteen. It was a long time ago. So, yes. Then I saw one from Sam Booth. And I saw one from James Coburn, and saw another one. So yeah, she's putting them out regular.
0: Man, getting it's good. She's doing a great job, and she's a big help. So absolutely. Um, so like I said, we're gonna be in Exodus chapter one. Now I wanna I wanna preface this. Well, you know what? Let's pray and then we'll, we'll right, talk.
1: Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather together and join together uh and and study of your word. We're so grateful for the power of your word, Father, for the power that it has to change people's lives. We pray, Father, for our audience, uh who those who may be listening or watching, uh, that they will uh that Whatever situation they find themselves in, that maybe we can say something or they can learn something uh, today that will help them to navigate through life in a better way. We want them to come to you, Father. We want them to come to, to the life source, and that's you. And we ask, Father, for your help and your guidance as we move forward through this study. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, now, look, this, we're not, Exodus is a book filled with weeds, okay? There is, a, I mean, there, the date, there's a dating contention here. There's a when, when the book was written contention. There's all of these weeds that we could get into. Um, we could spend an hour, two hours, our lives studying just chapter one here. There's so many things. So this is what I'm going to say. That's not the goal of the study. The study is not. The goal is not to get into the weeds. It's to track the history and the promises of God. Right. We're still looking for that seed child from Genesis chapter three. Right. We're still looking for his seed. We know it's coming through this family. We've gotten some allusions to it multiple times. Mm -hmm. So we know it's coming and that's what we're looking for. But if you're hankering to get into the weeds, I really want to encourage you, go check out the Naked Bible podcast by Dr. Heiser. Um, He does an excellent job of getting into the weeds. I don't agree with him on everything, okay? So you're going to have to eat the meat and spit out the bones. But he does an excellent job. He gets into the weeds. I believe he is a fair scholar when it comes to, to... Properly exegeting the Word of God, I believe he is a very fair scholar, both looking at textual criticism, and I would say an evangelical standpoint. So, well, if you really want to get into the weeds, he's the guy to do it with, we're, and we're, he does do that.
1: You get in the weeds, and sometimes it, it gets all confusing, and it gets it gets difficult to navigate, especially if you don't have enough enough knowledge of that stuff. Right. All I'm all I want us to do is get some history of our of our heritage. Sure. You know, and. We've come through Genesis. We've got a family that's involved, and we're learning about this family, and we're going to learn some more about this family and its and the and the 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 heritage of the people coming next. You know, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to teaching it. I'm looking forward to studying it again, uh, to see what what's going to happen and what happens to these people as we go through this and watch God work in these people's lives.
0: Well, you know, it's it's you're absolutely right. We are tracking a family. God mm-hmm. has made it very clear that this promise, this this son, is coming through the seed of this woman. Mm-hmm. We know that the seed of this woman has, has culminated now in, in the Abraham family. Mm-hmm. God has made promises and spoken promises to this family. And now here in Exodus 1, we're, we're picking up with that story. Uh, in Genesis, it ended with the death of Joseph, right? Jacob died, Joseph died, and now we're jumping into Exodus 1. We've been told God has already told Abraham kind of the blow-by-blow blow of what's about to happen. So none of this should be confusing to us. God has already told Abraham, your descendants are going to go down. They're going to be slaves. I'm going to bring them out. He's already said that. So the big picture stuff we've got, we know what's about to happen, but how does it work in the text? And I think in chapter one, we're going to get into a real sticky question. Something that is very relevant for us today, probably will be relevant for future generations as well, which is how do we as Christians, and Dan, this is is our question. How do we as Christians... Deal with a government that has demanded that we do or commit evil.
1: Man, it's tough, man. Mm-hmm. It's tough. You know, I mean, we're uh, we're we're commanded to obey the laws of the land until they come in conflict with what God says to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've we've got a we've got some some situations that we're going to get into here. You know that that uh, are going to be it's going to be it's difficult you know we're going to we're going to study with people that uh, that have aborted children you know and <clears throat> you know it's not the people's fault you know it's it's not the government's fault i think it's a sin problem i think it always has been a sin problem i think it's a sin problem from you know people trying to trying to justify their own evil desire to do whatever they want to do and when that evil desire gets them in a, in a compromising situation they're looking for somebody to give them a way out and that's what they've done, and it's uh, doesn't make it right, but a lot of us do that kind of stuff. Doesn't make us r- make it right, but but here we are, you know. That we're going to have to deal with that here, you know. Here we are, early on dealing with the subject of abortion, subject of of, of uh, uh, you know sin. I mean, basically that's what that's what it is, and what's going to happen here, and our government. You know, uh, let's say, man, I mean, I, I think we, we live in a, in a society that's, that, uh, that that I'm grateful that I live here. I'm grateful for this country. Doesn't mean that I, I, I like everything that happens here because leadership, you know, it's not the country's fault as much as it's leadership's fault. People, people, sinners, making decisions and making judgments on what other people should do is uh, you're going to get a bias. They're going to be biased. No matter what, no matter who's president or who's not president or who's in the Senate, doesn't matter. When you have sinners pulling the strings and calling the shots, you can't expect they're to always stay connected to God. They're just not. And we need to recognize that.
0: You know, it's it's interesting. You know, we we see people, you know, there's this political angle, I would say, especially. Especially among, you know, evangelicals usually tend to be a little bit more conservative. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there, there comes in for a lot of places and a lot of denominations anyway, there comes in this really strong political angle. Um, I think it's important to remember that, you know, when Peter wrote Peter, when the gospels were being written, when, when people were going around and first preaching and teaching about the coming of the kingdom of God and, you know, Christ and all these things, I think it's important to remember that the government was Rome. Yeah, it was a government where you know slavery was legal. Mm-hmm. It was a government where um, you know atrocities were normalized, where where you know they weren't. It wasn't unheard of. The government w- would come down and just slaughter people wholesale. In fact, you know, I, I specifically the destruction of Jerusalem in AD must was a horrendous event. Some of the things of that jo- well, some of the things that Josephus writes about it. I mean, it's horrific. Christ even warns that it's going to be so bad, it will never be like that again. Warns about that in Matthew chapter 24. And so, you know, it's. I think it's important to keep this these things in perspective. You know, it's important to remember that, you know, these governments are put here by the authority of God. The Roman government was put into authority by God. And as a Christian, it's my responsibility to try to obey that government. It's, it's, it's our responsibility to do that and not to expect that government to necessarily agree or uphold the things of God. But wherever that government contradicts the word of God, I'm not going to follow along. And we're going to see a really good example of that. I mean, we see a good, uh, we see a great example of that in Acts chapter four with Peter and John. That's absolutely right. Um, we see a one. That's that's I would say that is our on this side of the cross example. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see another great example of that here. We see a great example of that in Second Kings with Obadiah, where he does not follow along King Ahab and Queen Jezebel's order or standard practice of killing prophecy. In fact, he hides them. He hides them. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there are all of these places in the Word of God. All of these places, these examples. Of how we as Christians should behave, Paul encouraged us in 1 Corinthians and in Romans that these things happen, these events happen in the Old Testament to teach us. Do they yep. happen for us? Yep. And so let's get into it. Let's get in Exodus one. Let's see this example of how to deal with this situation. And we're going to be in Exodus chapter one. We're going to start in verse one. It says, "These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob." And we've 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 read all of this stuff. We've looked mm-hmm. at all this mm-hmm. stuff. You know, about seventy numbered in all went down, and Joseph was already in Egypt. You know, now Joseph and his, all his brothers, it says in verse 6, and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied, g- multiplied greatly increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. This is a direct callback to the pro- promises given to Abraham, you know, in Genesis yep. chapter 15. He said, he, you know, the Lord takes Abraham outside and he says, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And it says in verse 6, Abraham, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. And so, you know, we see this, that God is already coming through with his word. You know, we saw in the book of Genesis, you know, the entire scriptures could be redubbed this, but, you know, the entire the entirety of the scriptures demonstrate that man is faithless and God is faithful. God is going to do what he said He can, he's going to do every single time. And here again, we have that very strong fulfillment. But things get dicey in verse 8. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. So there are a lot of people who argue about who this king is. And again, if you want to get into the weeds on that discussion, I really, I can't recommend highly enough Dr. Heiser and his Naked Bible podcast. What I'm going to say is this. There's more than enough evidence. There's more enough more than enough archaeological evidence that we know this happened. The question is not whether this happened. The question is not whether these things occurred. The question very specifically is when they occurred. That's all we that's all we wonder about because there's so much archaeological evidence, there is so much connection that this stuff actually happened that the question is did it happen at this date or did it happen at this later date? Early date or later date? And that's where the debate is. And if you really are just have a hankering for that type of thing, hey, go check out that other podcast. We're not going to say anything more about it. But it's good to know. It's good to know that there's a lot of evidence that this stuff occurred. Verse 9, Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. If war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. How often have we seen in history leaders of government do this to people who are other?
1: Well I wonder why they're afraid of these people. You know if these people if they if they assimilated them into the culture.
0: They, they didn't assimilate them. Remember? But I,
1: I remember that but yeah. if they had done that they'd assimilated them into the culture and and you know like like uh, uh, what we what we are supposed to do. I mean, when when people come into the church, you know, they they come in. It, we're supposed to we're supposed to wrap our arms around them and love them and assimilate them into the body, into the fellowship. Mm-hmm. Is that what we're supposed to do? Absolutely. And if they had done that, there would not be any concern that these people would would go into warfare against them. That's right. Wouldn't have been any of that problem. But because they didn't do what they should have done, what God would expect all of us to do, if, because they didn't do that then now they're afraid of them. And so now we're going to take our power. We're going to use our power to subjugate them. That's right. And that's what governments do when they get afraid of someone because they've done things in a sinful way. They haven't done things in a righteous way. They've done them in a sinful way. When we do that as individuals, you know, if you're going to have friends in your life and you you don't treat them in a righteous way, at some point, at some point, they 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 will no longer be friends, or they'll turn on you, or whatever. It happens in churches. Churches split all the time because of, because we do sinful things. Don't become family and become connected and ingrained with each other and wrapped amongst each other. We don't do that. What's going to happen? There's going to be conflict.
0: Well, and and in, and in which relationship are we willing to give up our freedom for each other? You know, I mean Paul tells us right off the bat if there's going to be peace and unity in the church, you're going to have to give up yourself. You're going to have to give up your yeah. freedom just like Christ did for you. And so, in which relationship do we give up freedom, power, control, all of those things, right? In what relationship do we do that? The uh, well, uh, in the
1: absence of a relationship? No. One of the reasons that there's been a breakdown in the family is because two people come together and they don't want to give. They don't they don't want to humble themselves. They don't want to give in. They don't want to they I want what I want. I want it when I want it. I want it right now. Well, that's Mm -hmm. not conducive to a healthy relationship. That's right. It's not. That you look at this here. Well, this is not gonna be healthy to a good, good, healthy relationship. Not gonna be conducive to that because of how they're treated and how they're now what they're gonna do. These people, these people are going to be subjugated, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, and when you have a family break down because a man or a woman doesn't want to do what they're supposed to do, what they've been called by God to do, what happens to the family? And then who gets hurt? Who gets hurt? The kids get hurt. That's what happens. So that's what's going to happen here too.
0: So the new king, this new pharaoh over Egypt, who doesn't know Joseph, says, we must deal shrewdly. So what do they do? They put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithon and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. So God is working. We know, right, God wants to bring that seed. He's going to do it through Abraham. He's going to do it through these promises he's given Abraham. He's going to do it. We know that God is doing it this way from Genesis. And so God is at work here. That's what this is communicating to us. The more they multiplied and spread, well, who's, who's responsible for that? God is. God is blessing these people. He's blessing them and they're having more children and they're having they're you know they're not miscarriaging. They're they're bringing in, you know, the promise that God has said and he's going to work through this. But then what is Pharaoh going to do? Well, he's going to work against it.
1: I want to ask you something. Sure. God's still working today. Absolutely. Do we give him credit for it?
0: <laughs> what does James chapter 1 say about our father? He says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Clear. You asked, you know, does God still work um, with us today? James makes it very clear. He says in James chapter 1, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. Of all he created, God is absolutely working in the world today. The question is, do we give Him credit for it?
1: Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm concerned about, right? Because we've read through one whole book already. We've already started the beginning of this book, and God has multiplied them in spite of what the of what the evil around them has tried to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and my question is: Is God still doing that today? Does He still work today? Absolutely. You know, or has as as some people say, well. You know when Jesus came everything changed. Well, I don't believe that, I don't believe that's absolutely true. I don't think I don't think so. Well,
0: I think that God still works today. What changed? A lot of look, Jesus coming is a major change. Mm-hmm. Jesus coming, we have the new covenant. Jesus coming, the doors are opened. You know, as a Gentile, I can be grafted onto Israel. I I can become spiritual Israel now through Christ. This is big stuff. My yeah. sins are forgiven and forgotten. Everything has changed, but God's goodness hasn't.
1: Yeah. And God's and God's Need to work in us, His desire to work in us, in powerful ways, in in miraculous ways sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, that we don't we don't acknowledge
0: sometimes. You get diagnosed with cancer. You go, you get treatment. Who do we give the credit to? Doctors. Why? What are the doctors doing? What are they using? They're using it, the how, tools that God gave them. They're us. using the tools. I mean, doesn't God? Doesn't it say in Isaiah? God says, "I teach the farmers." How to farm? Doesn't he teach the doctors how to heal? He teaches them things about the body. Mm-hmm. And yet we give credit to them. Who who does it come from? So let's disconnect it from that. Let's say you get diagnosed with cancer. And on one, one month, you've got the scans showing the cancer. And the next month, you don't. Who do we give credit for there? We don't. Make- don't. Don't we understand that the very breath we breathe every day, the fact that our chest rises and falls when we get up in the morning, is because of God's goodness because, and grace? But we've
1: never acknowledged that. We've never talked about it that way. Before. Well, I'm talking about it that way. <laughs> what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is that it scares us. Why? I, I don't. I, and, that's I, what and I, don't I agree understand. with you. I agree with you. I just think that that it scares us that we're going to be too. Uh, uh, we're going to get to, uh, uh, I don't know what
0: the word is. I don't want to use, uh... look, look, I've been a Christian since 2016. So this it's 2020, it's 2021. So in November, it'll be five years. I've been a Christian and my, my entire entire time. What I have said is I'm going to stand on what the book says. I don't care what people say the book says. I don't care what somebody claims it says. I want to stand on what it says, and what James tells me is this is that God's in charge every that he's in charge, he's but got that it all. every good and perfect gift comes from above. so why, if I'm looking at a good and perfect gift, I had cancer, I don't have cancer. I don't care what happened in between. Yeah. I had cancer and I don't have cancer. Why would I not want to give credit to God? Yeah. I see people coming and, cha- and, and repenting and putting on Christ and doing all of these things and I'm watching God work in their lives. Why would I not want to give credit to God? Yeah. You know, we just went and watched a movie the other day mm-hmm. and we watched God work all sorts of ways in powerful ways. Why would I not want to give that and, credit and to God?
1: Guys, it wasn't a movie as much as it was a documentary. It was a
0: documentary. I'm sorry. yeah, It was a, it documentary. Was a, documentary. It was a documentary. These
1: were true stories. And stories that you can go look up and see that that, that they're true stories.
0: These this really happened. And uh, so let me get this straight. God worked. We're seeing how difficult this has been. You you and me read through Abraham's life. We read through Isaac's life. We yeah. read through Jacob's life. Yeah. Those, those families were train wrecks. Yeah,
1: they were train. Wrecks. Train.
0: Wreck. God worked through all of that. Contended with this nation of Israel for all of what we know is coming. We know first and second we know judges is coming. We know first and second Samuel is yep. coming. We yep. know first and second kings is coming. We know what's coming down the road mm-hmm. for these people. Moses will even tell them. God will even tell them. You're not going to do what I've told you to do. He yep. even warned them. We know it's coming. God's worked all this time to bring about the blessings through Christ and then what? He just got tired and he was done? No, he's still at work. No. He's still at work. Why why when we finally have the church, when we have finally have the first fruits of what God has been working for this whole time. The yeah. redemption of man in the church through Christ. We finally, excuse me, we finally have that. Why would he be done? Yeah. Why would he be done? No, he's not done.
1: Not done at all. No. Not done here no,
0: He's not done. He's not done. He's, he's certainly not done here. He's in the midst of the work. But notice who is working against him. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar. And with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Egypt is now being positioned in the narrative as the opposers of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, And there's a lot of theme that runs through this, even from Genesis, where we've had the world kind of in opposition to what God is doing, right? Now it's very focused. It's these Egyptians that are standing against the work of God. Look at what he does in verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, so now we're escalating. The game is about to get escalated quite a bit. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shiphrah and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Verse 17. Stop right there. I'm just going to stop right there for a second. The delivery stool is a very poor translation. See, what we're trying, what the the translators in the NIV are trying to do, is make it make sense to our audience today, right? The word is not delivery stool in the Hebrew. The word is actually potter's wheel. Okay, that's what it actually says. Okay, in some translations, it'll call it a birthing stool. The problem with all of this is that there is no evidence whatsoever that Egyptian or Hebrew women ever gave birth utilizing a birthing stool. It wasn't done. But the translators are trying to make sense of it. What's really going on here is this is a reference to their, the Egyptians' religion, okay? So this is a Hebrew version of an Egyptian religious word. That's what this word actually is, okay? Um, I'm actually going to read that. There's a doctor... Murchauser, who's who's done an entire article on this thing. And it's important that we understand what's being said here, okay? The potter's wheel is regularly linked. Now, this is straight from his article. Is regularly linked to pregnancy in ancient Egyptian religious literature and art. The implement was associated with their creator god, Kunum, a ram-headed deity who was depicted as an artisan. In mythopoetic texts, so that's, mythic poetry, okay, religious poetry, Kanum would mold and shape each human being at conception upon his wheel, with the potential child being granted the physical and psychological traits that would define it as an individual, obviously including characteristics of gender. During this time of fashioning, the developing infant was said to be upon the potter's wheel from which it would hopefully be delivered hale and healthy. What is significant is that the metaphor refers to a gestating fetus prior to parturition. Okay? So, what he is saying here is that the pharaoh in this story is telling the Hebrew midwives while this woman is on that their deity, their creator deity, while he is sitting there working this infant On his potter's wheel, when he's creating, stitching this child together in the womb, you go in and you see if this is a male. Now, the ancient Egyptians absolutely practiced abortion, and they absolutely had all sorts of methods to determine whether this was a boy or whether this was a girl. Whether Kunum was making a boy or girl. They had methods. I don't know how well they worked. I'm not saying they worked. But ancient cultures have methods of doing this. Hispanic cultures have methods of determining whether this is a boy or this is a girl, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they've got all sorts of folklore that goes into that. This is a common thing in cultures. And so what's really being said here, the Pharaoh is saying, while this child is being created in the womb, you go in there. If it's a boy, you abort it. And if it's a girl, you let it live. That's what's actually being said here. Now, notice what the midwives say. Let's see if that that makes sense. That's an interpretation. Let's see if the interpretation of the text makes sense. In verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? Look at their answer. In verse 19, the midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. Now, if Pharaoh was telling these women, you go in there, you help deliver the baby, right? This is kind of what the NIV is suggesting. You help deliver the baby. If you see in delivery the baby is a boy, kill it. And if you see in delivery that it's a girl, let it live. That's what the NIV suggests. Then why does their argument pan out? That doesn't make any sense. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. What difference does that make? If the NIV is correct and it's suggesting that Pharaoh is commanding them to wait.
1: Till they're
0: born and then kill them. them, Right? So we're talking about maybe a partial Mm -hmm. birth abortion. I mean, think about a way a baby is born. The head comes out first. You don't get to see the genitalia until the baby is fully out. A partial birth abortion. The head comes out. You spike the head. That's what a partial birth abortion is. So you can't even do that because you wouldn't even know you'd have to wait until the baby is fully delivered so what difference does it make then if they they're more vigorous it that argument doesn't make sense it doesn't make any sense it's not logical i never saw it
1: before but you're right it doesn't make any sense it don't make any sense no
0: what is actually being said here and this is, guys this is the difficulty in translation let's not go crazy with this okay but this is the difficulty in translation the hebrews adopted a word that was specific to religious connotations within the ancient Egyptian society. They pulled that word in to describe what was going on. Okay? It's called an idiom. Mm -hmm. Idioms, poetry, turns of phrases, are very difficult to translate accurately. Very difficult, okay? So we don't have to go nuts with this. We can't, this doesn't call into question every little thing, okay? It's just here we have to recognize Wait a minute, did the translators make logical sense even within the narrative? They didn't. Why? Because they're talking about that the, the excuse the midwives use wouldn't pan out. You know, if I'm supposed to wait till the kid's born, well, then okay, now you can kill the kid. You walk mm. in, your job's even easier. You don't mm. gotta wait. You know, you don't gotta wait for the pushing and everything. You just walk in, you see the boy in the crib, bam, he's dead, mm. and you walk out. But if Pharaoh is saying, you killed them in the womb, As a midwife, you're assisting the mother to do all sorts of things. You know things. You know what pills you can give to kill the child. You know what drugs you can give to kill the child. You know all the different things you can do that maybe the mother wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So by claiming, by the Hebrew women claiming that, oh no, they give birth before we even arrive, that's their defense against what Pharaoh is commanding. And so if you haven't put it together yet, what Pharaoh is commanding these women to do is abort these children and we see that develop into in the mosaic law in the mosaic law we see god look at infants and there is a stricter penalty there is a stricter punishment for attacking or hurting a woman who is pregnant if she loses the child that's a bigger deal why wasn't abortion practiced in israel during the first century it was practiced in rome it was practiced in egypt at this time we know that We have plenty of other places, plenty of Egyptian hieroglyphics and texts that describe abortion practices during this time. Abortion has been around for a long time. Why wasn't it practiced in Israel in the first century? Why was it condemned in the law? Why do we have church writings from the second century? So this is right after the first century, right after the beginning of the church, right after the preaching. Why do we have texts that condemn abortion? Because it's always been wrong. It's always been condemned. And Israel would not practice it because they've considered it murder. Mm-hmm. It was considered murder. Even from here, look, the Hebrew women, what does it say here? In verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. Why? Why would they be afraid of God? Why would they? Because they know this is murder.
1: Because it's, it's wrong. Yep.
0: So many people want to look at it and say, well, Jesus never talked about abortion. He True. didn't have to. No. He didn't have to. He didn't have to specifically condemn abortion because their society was more advanced than ours and recognizes that to go in there to a womb and kill a child, it's murder. Yeah. Get that through our heads. The Israelis in the first century, the Jews in the first centuries were more advanced than our own culture. Our own culture has slaughtered 73 million children since Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Did I say 73? I'm sorry, I meant 63. 63 63 million million, children since Roe Well, that was the last time they counted. Brothers and sisters, we have to be wise about the way we study these texts, especially when we get into the Old Testament. We have to be wise about how we study these texts. Does it fit within the narrative? We have to look at that. These translators are trying to do the best they can, but that birthstool translation has been there for a very long time. It's been translated because we're trying to make sense of the idiom it's like when I went and visited our missionary down in Mexico he speaks he speaks very good English you know he speaks very good English I speak very poor Spanish um, but when I asked him I said you know brother Freddie do you know what it means if I say kick the bucket and he looked at me like what why would you you know you're la you're smart because you know exactly what I'm saying <laughs> you're, you're dead you're he's kicked <laughs> yeah. the bucket he's dead you know yeah. dead is a doornail right mm-hmm. there's another one right okay Idioms don't translate well. When I say "kick the bucket," he has no idea what I'm talking about. It's the same context here. It's the same context here. It's a Hebrew adoption well, if of an you, Egyptian practice. But Cole,
1: even if you take that out, okay, it doesn't make sense because because of what they say. Correct. Yeah. And no. Absolutely. For me, it, I don't care absolutely. about the birthing stool. You know that that you're I'm, I you're probably right. I don't know that, but what what matters to me is is that. That he, the king called the midwives and said to them, uh, well, he, let's see, where is it at? He said, on the birth of his son, you shall kill him. The only way to know, all right, for us to, is you have to, he has to be born. All right, but that's not what he's telling them.
0: Right. Well, in our 21st century mind, the only way we can know is if someone puts an ultrasound on there yep. and looks. Mm-hmm. We look at it, right? Mm-hmm. Because we, we, we don't believe any of these religious folklore practices. But back then, they, you know, in Egypt, in ancient Egypt, they absolutely believed they had ways to tell what the gender of the child would eventually be. They had religious practices. This was a religious issue, and they had all sorts of practices involved to tell. And they believed them. They believed them. We've got to stop looking at this text from a 21st century perspective. We've got to look at it from their perspective. And they believed they had an accurate way to tell the gender of a child in utero. That's what they believed. And
1: he he says, uh, so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives come. You know, he had told them. You know, you need to go kill these these babies, you know. But the only way they would know they had to be foreborn.
0: Well, and then look at what he what he says when he when the midwives come and say this in verse twenty two. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people: every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. So what what difference does it make? Mm-hmm. You know, if if Pharaoh was literally telling these these midwife women to just kill the child after he's born. I mean, he ends up saying that anyway. He ends up giving that command. But when that's that command, not what he, that, that's that was not, not the intent. These are two different commands. There's two
1: different commands here. It's that's obvious. Right. It's two different commands because these women say, "Oh, we're sorry. They
0: give birth too quick. Right. We couldn't do it. Yeah. By the time we get there, they're already giving birth. They're
1: and now we diverse. can't kill them because they're already giving birth.
0: Yeah, because yeah, we can't do it now in the womb. Like so if want. they
1: figure out what sex the baby is. Then we kill it. That's what Pharaoh's telling them to do. That's, That's obvious right. from the text without looking at the burden. Stool, I don't care about the burden stool. Right. If you just look at that, at the, at, if you just logically put it together, he's asking them. No, he's commanding them. Go kill these kids before they're born. That means you have to figure out which one's which. That's right. Okay. And oh, we couldn't do it because they were born too quick. Why would they say that?
0: And what difference would it make?
1: It wouldn't make any difference. wouldn't
0: make any difference. So then
1: he has to come out with a new edict and say, well, okay. So now we just let them be born and we just kill them after they're born.
0: That's right. Yeah. And that's what's been going on here. Yeah. So I'd like to point something out besides all the abortion stuff. I mean, that's very important, obviously. Absolutely. It's and, very it, important. and it jives with what we will see later in the law and what we see as the eventual cultural practice in first century Israel.
1: But when I put it in just common sense.
0: Right. It makes sense to me.
1: Right. And that's and that's and, what... And, and, but yes. it won't make sense to someone who is convinced that God doesn't care that God's not involved right and we know that's not true because Jeremiah and David both tell us that they that God knew them before that they were knit together God formed them he said I knew you before your mom and dad ever ever thought about
0: you I knew you
1: wait a minute that's not what we're being told right we're being told that this is a nothing well, entity.
0: Well, no, and that's and you know what, that's some people are trying to argue that they're getting away from that. The modern day argument for abortion is not what it was in the seventies and the eighties. Okay. Right. In the seventies and eighties, there was this understanding that it should be legal and rare. In fact, Hillary Clinton oh, has for, been yeah. has, has said that. She's she I mean, during I think during the election twenty sixteen election, she came out and said abortion needs to be safe, legal, and rare. Right. And so that was always kind of the mindset. This is a rare thing that happens but it wasn't well that's what they that's what they try to argue right what i'm pointing out is that argument is no longer what now it's a right it's a woman woman's right to choose to kill this child or not and there's all sorts of reasons why a woman might want to do that we've seen hollywood actresses get up and say i wouldn't even be here today if i hadn't had my abortion and so, look, I've got this money, I've got all this stuff, I've got this fame and fortune because I had that abortion. Well, that's exactly what the Moabites were doing. That, that's exactly what God condemns. The Moabites were taking their infant children and throwing them into the fires of Molech to burn them up so the gods might give them fame, fortune, good crops, and all of that thing. So They were using them as, sacrificial, our, as
1: sacrifices.
0: Our modern-day abortion is closer to what, the inhabitants of the land, the Israelites will drive out, is closer to what they were doing than anything else. It's not about safe, legal, and rare. It's not about, oh my gosh, there was an accident and, and you're not ready and all of these things. It's not about the health and safety of the mother. It's not about any of those things. It's about 100% right. about getting fame, getting fortune, getting money. It's my right to do and I don't want this kid.
1: And what so the, what the right thing should be to do is to not let it happen to begin with.
0: Well, and there's and there's there's so much to talk about within this realm. Absolutely, I'm I'm merely trying to point out what was actually going on in Exodus and how and how our modern day practice of this has evolved and changed. And now, what what is actually going on with abortion nowadays is just is so incredibly similar to what the nation, the wicked nations, were doing that Israel will eventually drive out. But I think the other important issue here. Notice how the midwives lie to Pharaoh. Yeah. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. When is it, when is it right to lie? <sighs> when is it right to be deceptive? When is it right to look at what, what the enemy is trying to do and thwart him? There's no question here that the midwives lied. They lied. Thou shalt not lie. What's really at work here? What is this really about? And this is, you know, I'm not going to give an answer to this. This is a great, this is a bigger conversation.
1: I think it it tells you. It says, uh, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. They were more afraid of God. Than they were what Pharaoh could do to them.
0: They sanctified God in their hearts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in First Peter chapter three verse fifteen, it tells us to sanctify Christ as Lord. Evidently, our to God, that's not a lie. And that's and that's very important. Again, from my perspective, it looks like we've had this issue before. From yes, my perspective, it looked like Abraham doubted. From my perspective, it looks like that's the, the first thing I thought lying. of too. When you when that when I came, out, I said, you know,
1: it from God's perspective, it doesn't look like a lie to me. From God's perspective it's, because he blesses them
0: and I think you know and again we can go to Acts chapter 4 and we can look at Peter and John in the temple in front of the Sanhedrin and say hey you guys decide for yourselves what is right for me but to listen for to us. you or to listen to God but as for us we're gonna do we're gonna, we're see, gonna, we're see, gonna keep we're gonna, talking about we're gonna, keep what we talking about what we seen heard, brothers and sisters we're coming to a point in this nation just like the Israelites had to confront a wicked and evil nation to understand I understand there are members of the church all throughout this nation I understand that there are good and godly people all throughout this nation I understand that there are people who God is working on and are trying to do the right thing and seeking him diligently I understand all that when I'm talking about the wickedness of the nation I'm talking about the head the head itself is wicked and evil and desires wicked and evil things but we still are duty-bound to give it honor, to give it respect because God has placed it into authority. When do we stop? And we don't know when God is going to turn this around. And when and- do we stop? When are we called to say, no, I'm not going to do what you've told me to do. And the answer is very clear from the text. We could go look at second Kings and Obadiah. We could go look at, we could go look at acts. Okay. The, It's very, very clear The word of God is clear. I am to obey the lawful authorities up until they tell me to do something that God has told me not to do. I've had people say, well, what about, you know, the stay at home orders and stuff like that? The last stay at home order we received here in Texas was stay at home and you can gather in groups of 10. Mm -hmm. Can the church still worship in groups of 10? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We did it. And we did it. Now, if the government had come and told us. We just talked
1: about it a while ago. It wasn't, it wasn't what we wanted
0: to do. No. It, and if, but if the government had come and told us you're not meeting at all, we mm-hmm. would have had a different response. Yeah. would have been different response. We would have been up here and you'd yeah. take me to jail any day. Hey, thank yeah. you for the star in my crown. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for the added persecution. I appreciate that because yeah. guess what? I'm going to have one more thing that I get to throw at King Jesus's yeah. feet. There is a total, but we have to be wise. Now look, brothers, peace. Some people looked at that stay at home owner and said, we cannot do that hey, if your faith doesn't allow you to do that and your faith is being called into question, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. So peace, if you said, no, I don't care, stay-at-home order, no stay-at-home order, we're supposed to meet and we're going to meet and I don't care what the government says. Peace, I understand. And you need to stand on your faith. I'm not going to be called to account for your faith. I'm going to be called to account for mine. And We my, made the
1: decision here yeah. that we were going to honor what they, what they said. But, you know, what? we also we came up here and met together and we and we decided what was it going to take for us to get back together when the when the government said, "Okay, you can start meeting together. But these are some parameters. And we came up here and did all those parameters.
0: We worked very hard to pay honor and respect to what the government was saying and to pay honor and respect to what God is asking us to Mm -hmm. do. The government, we did not feel that we were put in a position where the government was saying we couldn't we could not meet our obligations to God. Now, if they had, it would have been totally different. Totally different. Totally different answer. The, con- the conversations we had would have been totally different. Would have been very, very different. But yeah. you see the tension, church, and I hope I hope you see the tension in these things. I hope you can see how it's so important to rightly divide the word of God and to treat it with respect and wisdom. We can't just read through this text and go, oh, okay, all right, Whatever. It takes some study. It takes some diligence.
1: Most of us that have read this have never seen this until you came along and pointed it out. It was right there in front of us. Well, and I just didn't see it.
0: I I never saw it either. You know, for me, it was something that I prayed a lot about because, you know, when somebody says the book doesn't say anything about that, I take that seriously. Mm -hmm. I stop and go, okay, well, wait a minute. The book doesn't say anything about that. Is that true? You know, because I don't want to be preaching and teaching something that's not true that the book doesn't ask us to do, you know? And so I stop and I go back and I evaluate and I pray over it and I pray over it. And wouldn't you happen? to no. know, God said, hey, why don't you listen to this podcast? I'm driving 40, 50 minutes to work every day. And God's, God's saying, hey, you, you're praying about it. You're asking for it. Hey, listen to this. And when Dr. Heiser starts talking about this stuff, when he starts getting into it, I mean, he's getting into stuff. I don't know Hebrew. I know a little Greek, but I don't know Hebrew. Mm-hmm. I've, never, I've never studied that. I'd love to, but I, I just haven't. When Dr. Heiser starts getting into the Hebrew in it and you're like, oh, as soon as he started talking, the spirit connected all the dots. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh my gosh, this, this explains it. It connects to here, connects to here, connects to here. I'm not a smart guy. I'm a pretty dumb guy. But God is awesome. Yeah. And if we diligently pray for wisdom, what does James tell us? He'll James give it tells it to us he'll give it to us. He'll give it to us. He'll give it to us. But we have to ask without wavering. We have to ask without wavering. You know, so anyway, church, it's so important, so important to be in prayer, so important to be studying the scriptures, so important to be studying them with open eyes because God is doing all sorts of things. I think this text is incredibly relevant for us today. And I think I think I
1: think we've got to not be afraid to learn.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Not be afraid to learn. Not to be not and not be afraid of what God is doing.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, you know, we're going to learn some things. We just learned some things today. We've talked about this before, but this is the first time we've really covered it in depth. And it's a scary thing to learn sometimes. that, that uh, And maybe sometime I'm going to have to take a stand. I may have to take a stand sometime in my own life. That's right. Or in the lives of others, I may have to take a stand. That's right. Because, you know, you start putting numerous texts together and you find out maybe there's some things that, that are being done that are not that are ungodly. That we don't look godly at all. So let's pray. Yes, sir. Father, thank you so much for the things that we've learned today. Uh, I pray for our audience that they will go back and they'll listen to it again and again and, and, and to really connect it together and see for themselves. Help us not be afraid, Father, to learn the things that, that you're trying to teach us here. Help us, Father, to strive every day to be the very best we can be and to apply the principles that, that, you're, that you're sharing with us every, every time we study. Thank you, Father, for, for loving us, Thank you for being our Father and for wanting a relationship with us where we walk hand in hand together. Thank you for that, Father. And and, uh, and help us to respond to you in the right way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.